just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. This is one episode of the Loki podcast you do not want to miss. I'm joined by presentation trainer, former dominatrix, and all-round badass Dana Farrant. Whilst there's no graphic content in our conversation, we certainly touch on some adult themes specifically relating to Dana's life and experience as a dominatrix. If you are under the age of 16, or maybe you are a bit sensitive to these sorts of topics, this may not be the podcast for you. If this is the right podcast for you, I promise you, you are in for a treat. Welcome to the Loki Podcast with John Ball from Present Influence. We use Buzzsprout to upload and distribute the Loki podcast to all major podcasting networks. If you're thinking of starting your own podcast, check out the link to Buzzsprout in the show notes. You could start your podcast today. This week, I'm very excited to have with me a very special guest who has agreed to join us. The biggest badass I've ever had on the show so far, for sure. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Dana Farron. Hi, Dana. Oh, thank you, John. I love that. The baddest, the biggest badass. I love it. <laughs> I, I think it has to be true. Dana, if you haven't encountered Dana before, she's a business performance coach and uh, having come from a, being a seven-figure business owner and a former dominatrix, then you may also come across some of her books or her speeches in the past. They, you're just an amazing person. I'm super happy to get introduced to you, and I really couldn't wait to speak to you. You remember when I first contacted you, I was a bit like uh, um, I had a hyperactivity disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had, we had a lot of conversation prior to even getting on to our, our uh, initial interview conversation, but it was lovely because you know, we've really we connected over some similarities in, yeah. you know, what we're interested in, what our little fascinations are. And of course, so I'll, I'll reveal it that I was doing my due diligence and researching some of your past episodes. And, and you mentioned in there about the fact that you were fascinated by cults and mind control. Yeah. And of course, my background is that I grew up in a cult. And, and so it, it also has a fascination for me. I've, I've studied into that world as well. So we've, we've clicked on that level. And then we've also clicked on the piece about, you know, the fascination of how the dominatrix piece lends into both business and presentation. So. Yes. Uh, and, and also for, for me, uh, and I, I may have mentioned this the last time we spoke, but for the audience particularly, um, for me, it's really uh, one of the things that I think is very important at the moment, even though I'm, I'm not, a woman, obviously, um, I um, I care very much about female empowerment. I think women are uh, in a position now where they, 
should be seeing more in positions that we're seeing like women who are in positions of power who are doing amazing jobs around the world that maybe we should have more women in power uh, it's just that time of that the suppression has gone on long enough the glass ceiling has been there long enough let's just break through all that because it is time for everybody to be living their best selves and having whatever expression they want and stepping into their power and there's no reason why why women especially shouldn't be doing that you know, I, I was thinking just before before uh, speaking today that growing up, I grew up with, uh, like, I was obsessed as a child with Wonder Woman, the Linda Carter, original Linda yes. Carter series. I'm old enough for, for, to remember it when it was on TV. And uh, and I, I was obsessed with that. I thought she was amazing. I still do. still think that she, she was and is amazing. Um, but, and then a bit further on down the line, I was a bit older, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was my next big obsession. Mm. Like, oh, my God. Powerful, powerful women. It was it was so necessary and so needed. And and also these these are things that developed such big followings. I think because people did really get how important it was and how powerful uh, how powerful a message that was, especially for women. Yeah, and, and you know I love like with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They, I love the character they created for her because they. They made her more multidimensional. So Wonder Woman was awesome. She was very powerful. And then in her day-to-day, she was kind of, you know, just a, you know, an average person. But with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they kind of took that a little further in, you know, she had all these quirky things in her regular life. And, you know, she picked the bad boys and, you know, that wasn't working well. So it was really interesting to see this more dynamic. And I think we've progressed, actually. I'm going to carry on with this. We progressed. And we look at, like, one of my other ones that I loved was um, Star Trek, uh, the Voyager. Yes. And, and Captain Jane, you know, Janeway, she was, she was another one that was just, she was powerful, but she was feminine. And she led in a way that was very, you know, empowering for women. I loved her as a role model. And then, of course, my more recent one that I love pulling from the, the stage is uh, the show Billions. So I'm not sure if you know the character Wendy. Oh, you've got to show, watch Billions. You will love that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So Wendy, I love pointing to for mostly because you know she's like she's like me because she's she is a dominatrix in her personal life, right. and although I'm former, but she is. And then she pulls that into her coaching, where she really shows up as this great badass who holds her space. She 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 takes people to task, and she does it in a way that she stays in her feminine power. So I, I love that, you know, it's interesting that progression, right? When this is what we've come to is this more uh, holistic look at what is feminine power? What is an authentic empowerment for women? Yeah, that was, that was really I think, one of the reasons why, why I was so excited to speak to you. And then when we actually got communicating, I just got more and more excited all these things we, in, in common, all these areas of common interest. And, <laughs> and uh, you, you said that you'd be happy to come back and, and record an episode where we will talk about the cult past and experience. But, but that's not what we're going to focus on so much today, although it may, it may crop up in some of the stories. But um, from, from, where you've been in life to where you are now, that's quite a journey to have been a, a, a former dominant. I think it's important to ask questions in the right order. So, so I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that I do this. First of all, I'm sure you don't wake up one day and just think, oh, I think I'm going to be a dominatrix. <laughs> so, so how did that happen? Yeah, and it's not exactly on the list of, you know, childhood dreams of like, oh, no, I think I'll no. go and... I did yeah. my careers guidance at school. I don't think that was one of the options. No. 
No, it, it would be a good option that they would bring forward for people, but you know, <laughs> regardless. Uh, so the progress for me is that, so you know, we touched on the fact that I grew up in a cult. And in with that, of course, uh, most of the time, people also have a lot of abuse that they are dealing with in surrounding that. And so leaving the cult, I went on a very long journey of untangling all the different pieces of both the mind control, but also all of the abuse that I went through. And I've, you know, kept finding different things. I kept looking for different things. And I ended up finding the most profound healing in the dungeon. And it wasn't like I was, you know, setting out to say, oh, I think I'm going to untangle my sexual abuse by getting beaten. Yes, that sounds like a logical thing to do. <laughs> you know, and yet that's that's what ends up happening because and again, this is you know dispelling some of the misnomers. We think of a dominatrix as what Hollywood portrays. Yeah. Hollywood does a terrible job of portraying any profession. So Hollywood portrays this, you know, mean, nasty person who it's all about them, they're in control, and and the other person doesn't matter. And that's not actually what happens. What what is actually happening is that you negotiate prior to getting into a scene. And we call them scenes because it's rarely about sex. And and again, like that's where you know Hollywood takes it down that area because they like doing that. Sure. But you know, in essence, the real, you know, beautiful pieces are not about sex. And it's about this deeper transformation. So you have to have a really good conversation about what's okay, what's not okay. What are trigger words? What are things that, you know, are going to push push the limits too far? What's on the edge? Having all of that discussion, crafting out a loose script, just like we would for a scene, and, and moving through and staying really, really present with the other person so that they can drop in and experience a sense of, I can go further than I thought I could. I am stronger than I thought I was. And so that, that experience, much like extreme sports, when you push yourself to your limits, then you start to see who you really are at the core. And that's the beauty for me of the transformation. Right. And when I had that experience for myself, then I was like, oh my goodness, I want to take other people on this journey. Yeah. So that's how that came about. I, I know that when, when we had a chat before, uh, which I wish I'd recorded that, to be honest with you, because I, it, would be, it was such a good chat. And uh, I, think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to recreate it exactly as that, but I'm, I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned that... Um, that one of the things that, that I was thinking about in terms of uh, the, the persona of the dominatrix was relating it to, in some way, to to drag. Like, I'm, I'm an obsessive fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. I absolutely love, love it as an art form. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, the, one of the things that a lot of drag performers will say is that uh, they feel very liberated by their persona, that when they when they've gone through the transformation and often it's the the final thing of like putting on the the wig and, and being fully fully uh, made up and, and dressed up that is when the persona comes out and they can be who they really want to be it's almost like a true expression of themselves they can they can act badass they can act a bit more cheeky they can you know they, they can really express themselves in ways that they may feel limited or restricted by in their normal lives and I was imagining that maybe that is, uh, from Mr. what you're saying, there were some similarities in, in how that goes. There's some similarities, and yet there's some really big differences in that, um, yes, it gets to be an expression of who you are, and you have to embody it. 
much like drag. So drag, you, you get to take and, you know, create this persona and, and it comes from within like a lot of the, the great drag Queens. It's it, the persona comes from who they are. And so that piece of like, Oh, I get to be this other side. And I have this, this reason I, you know, I have the wig and I have all the costume and I get to be really above and, you know, above and beyond just over the top. And, and that is fabulous. And I think there's a piece of, you know, having a deeper expression of who you are, but in the dominatrix world, because there's this piece of you are actually in charge of the other person, you're responsible for the other person, you're actually on. So it's much more of a high level service position as opposed to I get to be in control and leading. And yes, there's a large element of that. And which is why a lot of dominatrixes are control freaks, but <laughs> Uh, ultimately we are also really compassionate and caring about who it is that we're working with because literally their life, their life is in your hands. Right. Some of the things that you're doing. So you have to be aware of what is going on with them. It is not all about you. So there is some differences and some similarities. Yeah. Right. I mean, that there has to be a huge um, relationship of deep trust there then really, doesn't it? And and that's uh, super important. One of the things that uh, that we had spoken about before that I was fascinated about that that you had, that maybe kind of confirmed some of my uh, my ideas about this a bit was about the uh, that many people who who would maybe be seeking out a dominatrix is not as you say mainly it's not a sexual thing. It but a big part of it is to do with maybe they have a lot of responsibility in their lives and they want someone else to be calling the shots to be in charge to completely take away their responsibility so they're at your mercy it's a it's a it's a mental break for them to to be able to move uh, to to get rid of that take that off for a while and just be in someone else's care and and mm-hmm. um, yeah so can, can you say a bit more about that because i think that's fascinating it is fascinating and and you know it's like that's the typical, right? We really, we see a lot of that because you have like the high powered executive. Here's the classic person that goes to a dominatrix. High powered executive is in charge, is making decisions. Maybe they're running a company that has a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. They're making, you know, life um, altering consequencing decisions of the people that they're working with, or they feel that pressure. And, you know, they're large and in charge when they're, when they're at work. And then, you know, in order to really let go, in order to really have that opposite experience, then they have to get into a situation where somebody else is taking charge and somebody else is willing to like really take charge and not let them get back to their old ways. You know, if you're, if you're saying you want to submit, well, then I'm going to make sure that you follow up on that. And I'm not going to let you out of that. And that's the piece where it's like the dominatrix has to step up and I can feel myself already like, "Mm," you know, get my whip out. "Mm," Right. And it's that piece of stepping into that role where it is authentic. It is like, I'm willing to be in charge and I'm coming at it from your own good. Cause you've said you want to surrender. You said you want to drop into this. Well then damn it. Here's the fastest way to do it. We're going to like beat you into submission, but for the reason of, dropping into what we call in the world, we call it subspace. And subspace would be closest linked to, you know, where somebody gets after years and years of transcendental meditation. It's that really deep space of nothing else exists, no time, no space, 
Everything's just this moment right here and they're fully present. And that's what people are looking for. So it's not so much that they want to be beaten. I mean, there are some that, you know, it's unhealthy, but really they're looking for what is the end game? What is that ultimate, right? So whether you go extreme sports or dominatrix, it's kind of the same ultimate result. I'm sure I'm not the only person that might be surprised to hear that there is a connection between the the dominatrix world the i guess it's the the kink world right is i think you described that's a blank kink and and transcendental experiences they're not two things you would naturally assume go together no but you we look at ancient spiritual practices as a whole most of them have some sort of component that requires you to go through pain suffering, you know, endured torture, so to speak. So whether it's the native culture where you go on a spiritual vision quest and you fast for 21 days and you expose yourself to the elements, I don't know. Personally, I think that's a whole lot more extreme than being in the dungeon. But, you know, there are every spiritual ancient practice has something that you go through an extreme experience in order to to transform. The rites of passage. It's interesting. I mean, uh... I, I think it's, it's one of those things that I, I do sometimes think that um, it's almost missing now as so it's needed in, in modern culture, these rites of passage that, that we used to have. And you see it's like some older traditional cultures still still very much have them. Uh, and uh, and we've maybe in, in more modern life adopted some not so good ones. Um, but uh, I was thinking about like college hazing and things like that. Uh, maybe not. Oh, so. Yes. But, but I mean, the considered rites of passage, but, but the, the sort of marking the thing of uh, um, uh, reaching adulthood and having the, having that sort of also connection, I think with, uh, with people of your, of your own um, gender. Like when you're becoming a man, you connect with the men in your community. When you're becoming a woman, you connect with the women in your community. That you have those sorts of connections and, and role models and the community that goes with that. It is uh, like on a psychological level, it's, it's almost sad that those things are missing because they're a huge part of, uh, of the ways that we are really designed to interconnect with each other and, and have done historically. We've moved so much away from it. Yeah, it, it is really sad. And I, I think... A lot of that um, community connection, you know, yes, it can go kind of sideways, but I think one of the things that we're really missing is this, you know, course correct. Because when you have a strong community, when you have your, your tribe, then, you know, people can come along and say, hey, John, listen, you know, the police signs is like, can we just correct this? Because like that behavior is not really working for the community. We need you to like you know, get it together, what's going on and have a little conversation. But what we have instead is we have situations where like social media brings out the worst of people and nobody's doing any kind of checks and balances. Nobody's saying, Hey, ah, that's not good. Don't do that. You know, maybe what else you, what are you trying to get? What are you trying to do? There isn't that piece because if you do it in social media, then all you do is, is just flare up the person's, you know, uh, you'll get trolled triggers and traumas and you know yeah we've seen where that goes <laughs> yeah it's not it's not good and, it, and it's not pretty but yeah it's those those personal connections and that community behind it um that that is missing in for so many people and in so much of modern mm-hmm. life but uh, but not completely there there are uh, there are definitely some parts of it but probably not nearly enough but to to move on from that then the the whole sort of idea of 
the the dominatrix is fascinating just in terms of the authority and um, my my focus in the podcast is a lot about the presentation and the influence and the Im- the very image you just thinking about the word dominatrix conjures up very strong interpretations very strong visuals in both of those in terms of the presentation and the the influence side of it as well and what does that mean for you? Because you've brought you've brought some of that into what you do now. So what has it meant for you then and now? Okay. Sense the question. No. no, it's like okay, that's a really big question. Um, so as far as let's let's deal with the presentation. So here's what I find is that uh, for me, when I go on stage, I love bringing a little bit of the energy of who who I needed to become, like who I would step into to be that dominatrix. And it's, you know, who I became because it's very integrated with, with me, but there are times when it's on and there are times when it's off. So getting on stage very much is that on. So, you know, that piece where I was saying it's, it's about being high level service. So when I'm presenting, I'm aware, I'm aware of what is going on in the room. I'm aware of being present. I'm also really going to bring in those pieces of being willing to be in charge. So if there's something going on in the room that is really distracting from what is going on, I will call it out and and I'll do it in a nice way. Now I, I, you know, of course I won't whip people from the stage. That's not really going to work. But you know, if you've got somebody who's, you know, say the serving staff has walked in, I've, I've been at presentations where the serving staff is walking in, they're cleaning and clanging and trying to pick up dishes. Then I will pause. And I will say, you know, I will pause until everybody's looking because now they're the only noise. And then I'm like, can you hold the clearing of the plates until we're done? Yeah. And that, like, that takes power. That takes a willingness to, like, make it, because to stand on stage, you know, to stand on stage and say nothing is a powerful pose. And it makes, you know, the speaker and everybody else uncomfortable. So this is where, for me, I get so excited about, like, this energy of the dominatrix because I've spent my time making people uncomfortable, yeah. you know? And that that's kind of a thrill for me. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you don't like that. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. So that's that's where I translate that for being on stage. Um, what was the other half of that question? I already lost it. Sorry. <laughs> the, the authority, the influence side. Yeah. So the authority, um, you know, again, like as well as holding your presence on stage, because that's really powerful. There's also the piece of owning your expertise. So if you happen to be a speaker that does like say speak to sell in particular, you need to really own and embody your expertise and you need to convey that without the, you know, the standing there, the blah, blah, blah. And I did this and I did that. It's, it's really having an integrated and, um, owned in your body so that you can weave it in. It's like, you know, for me, I stand on stage and I can talk about when I had a seven figure business, you know, and I can just weave it in and there's no bugaboos about that. So that's that owning the authority and owning the power on stage. It is. It is just coming up from whilst you were speaking that I can, I think hopefully I can say this because I don't think my dad generally listens to my podcast, although. I can't guarantee he won't listen to this one. <laughs> but uh, my, when my dad tells stories about um, things that have happened or some sort of confrontation and stuff like that, I always know he's telling me what he wished he'd said as if he actually said it. <laughs> and I'm sort of thinking, this is that. So I think that's probably where most people are. We'll probably, you know, we want to be the hero of our own stories. And 
um, but to actually live that is is so much more empowering and it does take a level of assuming assuming authority and and demanding uh, demanding it as well yeah and the flip side is being willing to own where you've you know quote unquote failed i mean I personally don't believe in the idea of success or failure that, you know, right and wrong. But if we embrace it the way that typically that people say, when you can really embrace your failures and own them as well, now you can speak to your stories and you don't have to make things up because people can see through that, especially now, you know, maybe 20 years ago, we could BS people on the stage um, and people would buy it and be like, oh, right but nowadays people are like "Mm, yeah that smells really fishy i know and they'll discredit you so you really need to be owning it um from a truthful honest place yeah it's incredible i mean i've been working around the sort of training and teaching uh, public speaking skills for a long time and i say one of the things i come across and come up against really more than anything else is this thing of people have this imagination of that they're going to get up on up on a stage and someone's going to say you don't know anything let me tell you exactly what it is it's like that doesn't really happen but you do have to understand that more people are more knowledgeable now, have access to more information. So you do need to deliver some really good value and you need to deliver it with confidence as well. And it's Mm -hmm. probably not a bad idea to know how to handle those kinds of people and interruptions when they come up as well. Yeah. In a way that doesn't distract from what's going on. You know, if you, um, little things like anything from, you know, you've got a moment of silence in the, in the, in the presentation and somebody's phone rings. Well, you know, you can either berate the person and make them feel small and stupid. Be like, oh, I asked you to turn that off at the beginning. Like, that would be rather rude. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be like, oh, I guess that's our timer. <laughs> you know, like making it fun. and Utilize it, yeah. Utilize it, right? That's that staying present. And again, that's where, yeah, another piece that I draw from the time of the dungeon is that you had to be fully, fully present for the whole session and sometimes sessions were like four hours. So you really got to bring it and you've got to be there. It's, it's, it's a bit hard for me to imagine. It's, uh, it's like my, my only knowledge of it is from what we've talked about and from Hollywood. You know, so I have a very, a very limited uh, insight into that world, but it is nonetheless fascinating. Are there any stories or things that, happen that really stand out for you or were real either learning events for you or just super memorable from that time? Um, I'd say, you know, one that's kind of applicable here is when I was first starting to transition over. So I started out as the, in the submissive side, experienced that, had a lot of healing. And then I was really drawn to, to drop into the dominatrix side. And I was, I was at um, a private party and there was a woman who had, she had, she really embodied it. She was, this is who she was. This was not a persona. And, um, and she had been this for probably about 10 years. And so we're sitting there and so I'm just starting to get comfortable with this and starting to own it. And, but I could hang out with her and just feel the energy, feel the vibe watch how she interacted with her submissive and watching that dynamic. And that was really powerful for me. And then I could just, you know, try it out and, you know, test these little pieces out of like, Oh, okay. Noticing. So for me, one of the things that I thought was fascinating was the fact that um, the submissive 
the more she held her power, the more she really stayed in that place of, um, yes, serve me. You're here to serve me and really held that space, the more that he would glow. And, and that same night I had, um, had this lovely fellow who loved to do foot worship and, and he just, you know, it was like, I was sitting there and he kind of like just snuck in. It was almost like he just kind of like, you know, oozed in under my feet. And before you know it, here's this person who's just like, may I rub your feet, right? Like just this really lovely, sweet person. So the more that I was um, claiming that dominatrix energy, the more I could see he was enjoying serving. And so it really reinforced that piece of when I stand in my power, it makes it so that other people can relax. It makes it more enjoyable for other people. And it's, it gave me permission at that point to really claim that and, and be it. Mm. Interestingly, my, my, uh, my thoughts are that the, the UK, uh, England particularly, is maybe viewed globally as being quite a prudish place and that we're all sort of uh, still in Victorian times and we all <laughs> go back to our, uh, our castles at the end of the day kind of thing. It's how a lot of people seem to see it, which is very far from, very far from the truth. And yet... Uh, on a sort of puritanical morality sort of side, I see the U.S. as generally being uh, more along more along those sorts of paths, and across the water being much more of a, having much more of a puritanical morality uh, to them, maybe a bit more associated to the Victorian side. That is interesting because it's um, it almost makes things like uh, the kink world even more. Um, salacious, even more exciting in some ways, because there's all these people who disapprove of it and are going to tuck their eyes. But maybe also interesting from a um, just from the sort of side of psychologically acceptance and being accepted by the great majority that most of us always want that acceptance. That sometimes when you go into these worlds, and I say that you know, maybe partly my own experience from um, from entering more the uh, the gay community as I grew up that uh, you find your own place and what those other people think matters so much less. Would you relate to any of that? Absolutely. You know, there's like a lot of people start into the kink world and, you know, going to events and things and it becomes this like, Oh, you know, that finally, uh, finally I can let go. Finally I can, you know, release the shackles of all the prudent pieces and, and um, and you found a tribe of people who who are also all liberated and, and willing to express this, and and so sometimes you, you get a little starry eyed in the beginning and right. and you know dive off the deep end, and then gradually it's like oh well let me just find my own rhythm in here. What what is it that actually works for me instead of you know being led down the garden path by by other people's ideas, and and that's where I see like the beauty of these kinds of explorations for people is when you can get to that level where it becomes a matter of like oh you know what are you doing and why are you doing that and um, it doesn't sound like something I want to do but I'm fascinated as to why and getting that um, bigger broader perspective also allows you to have a broader perspective in life but you know like everywhere there are some people that remain narrow-minded and you know it's like my kink is good and your kink is bad right. It's like the rest of the world, you know, but I see the potential for people to expand their horizons, to at least be open-minded if you, even if it's not something you want to physically explore. Yeah. 
It is, it is fascinating insights. And, and so th- those perspectives make so much more sense than just viewing it from uh, it's all about sex or it's uh, just all, all about people trying to uh, uh, overcome abuse. There's like on a psychological level, there's, there's so much more to it. It's not that those things aren't some connected in ways, but it, that it's a, it is those psychological relationships, the power balances, the understanding of the how, um, as you said, transcendental it could be to give complete authority over to someone else. How empowering for for someone like yourself, perhaps, to step into that role and really discover and channel this level of authority and command, and uh, so empowerment is a big part of what you do now how much of the how much of the dominatrix comes into what you do now so at this point now it's it's for me it's at the energy of the dominatrix as opposed to you know people really stepping into using the physical tools of the dominatrix and and what that is for me is stepping into um, a, a confidence. So I often ta- call it a bulletproof confidence because it comes from within as opposed to an external source. This piece of being willing to lose everything, being willing to be judged, um, and not just being willing to be judged, but like welcoming it in. That, that's a whole nother level. Um, for me, there's a very spiritual aspect to it. So getting connected to your intuition, following those deeper nudges. And, and that, that bigger perspective of, you know, what if there's nothing right or wrong in anything and we're here having an experience and then it's, then it's a, a freedom to create what we want with the perspective of, you know, still stepping into that dominatrix piece of like, I still need to be aware of what works for other people still, so still being a good human and, you know, how do I want to, how do I want to experience life? So that's kind of the overview of now how the dominatrix is an archetype for mm. women in particular in business to step into. Yeah. What What would you say then are the, are the most um, positive traits of the dominatrix archetype? Uh, well, all the things I just talked about, but I would say for, for most people, what is really attractive is the um, the confidence and the peace around you know, how we can turn judgment into fuel and using that to drive us forward as opposed to holding us back. Yeah. From, from, the, from the psychological side then, once again, which to, to me, you know, psychology has always been a fascinating area, but uh, in terms of your own natural power relationships with people, you mentioned earlier about how that can be when you're from the stage. Does any of that play out in, in other parts of your life as well? that you find yourself a bit more assertive, a bit more. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, if I walk in somewhere and it's kind of, they're, they're a leaderless ship, uh, I, I naturally, I just can't leave it alone and I have to step in. I remember a friend of mine, she was moving and she was the, you know, that chicken running around and <clears throat> nobody was, was getting a direction. So, so I just stepped in and I, and I started directing. I'm like, you know, directing her. I was like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And I'm like, you go here, you go here. And I, and I basically spent the day just directing everybody because I'm willing to step in and hold that authority power. Uh, my husband, he likes to laugh at me because um, he, he refuses to follow my directions when we're driving because, because, because it says to me that you will go confidently in the wrong direction because I sound so confident in my say, yes, we're going right. 
And then I'm like, oh, no, that was left. <laughs> so, you know, now we have to use Google instead of my directions. <laughs> I'm terrible at giving directions. I, I rely completely on Google Maps and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't without it. I don't know how we ever coped with map books before we had all of those things but right you know thank goodness for gps <laughs> <laughs> changed the world yeah so, so in what you in what you actually teach and present now as well what what are your what are your goals or your primary values about what you're offering now so my my main topics is in around you know dealing with fear or anxiety so giving people new ways to, to shift how they're handling that. Um, negotiation, of course, is a real strong skill set from the dominatrix world. Right. And, uh, and then the other one that I love to lead with is uh, navigating difficult conversations because there's a lot of, you know, the internal piece of what's going on of, of why people won't lean in to those difficult conversations. And yet, in business in particular, I see it over and over again. If I see a business owner who is, you know, avoiding those confrontational kind of conversations, I guarantee that at some point they are going to hit a catastrophe because yeah. that will trip it up. I have, uh, I have a friend in the UK. She, he may or may not listen to this, as you know, he is, but it's not, this isn't embarrassing. This is very much, uh, very much in her favor, but uh, she's one of those people who she's never afraid to ask, for anything or to demand what she wants and uh, and it's in similar kind of energy I sense that um, you know we went out uh, we went out in London sometimes and and going out to we would try to go to an attraction she'll try and get them a discount even if they're not offering any discounts we go out for a meal she'll see if we can get a deduction we live and go into the uh, into the makeup counter and try and get them to knock some money off the price you know she's just that kind of person she does doesn't care what people are going to think of her. She's going to do her best to get the best deal. And that's the kind of person she is tremendous fun to hang out with. Uh, one time we uh, we snuck into a famous London attraction through the gift shop through the back entrance. I was convinced the whole time that we were uh, we were going to get caught and, and arrested or something, but we didn't. And I'm not saying which one it was in case they got video footage of, of that time. Uh, but uh, I mean, the attraction itself was, was terrible. I'm glad we didn't pay all the money for it. But the fun of it was that we'd snuck in. And, uh, but she's just that kind of person. Like, I'm going to get my I'm going to get my own way, and she's going to I'm going to get a result here. I'm going to get something, and I'm not going to be afraid to ask for it. And I just love that energy. Is you know, ah. much more unafraid than I am. And, and uh, um, you know, I I, uh, I find you, know, you talking about sort of confrontational situations. As something that, that I struggle with, and I know lots of people do as well. I think that's uh, people are generally afraid of it. I will do it, but I find it very, very hard. Like I might be shaking when I do it, or something, but I will do it. Whereas a lot of people will will walk away, or uh, you know that 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 um, negative feeling or the 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 fear of the confrontation will will scare them back from doing it. Um, what sort of things would you work with someone on then to help them become? more confident or when, when a confrontational situation becomes necessary to be able to stand their ground and to be able to hold themselves in a, a powerful way? Yeah, great question. So uh, generally what happens is that we've got to look at first layer is what, you know, what is it that you're avoiding and what are, what has been linked to this? So if you were to confront them, then we got to like dig into the subconscious and say, what's, 
what's going on there? Why is your subconscious thinking that it's keeping you safe by avoiding the confrontation? Um, move that programming out so that you're not butting up against this safety factor. Because as long as your subconscious brain thinks that you're going to be safe by avoiding uh, confrontation, you will constantly avoid confrontation because that's the way our subconscious works. So we have to change that programming so it stops hitting the button. Then the next layer is looking at, um, if we need to, adding in the piece of like being willing to lose. And, you know, again, clearing off and changing the programming that is around this idea that I'm going to lose X, Y, Z, or losing is bad, failing is bad, changing those kinds of pieces. Then, then when we have those two layers cleared off, when we are, when our psyche is set where that it's safe to move forward, then the actual conversation, the skills of the conversation are very simple. That becomes a matter of like, okay, so here's the simple steps that we can walk you through. You need to, you know, empathize with them. You need to find out what's, what is it that they need? Why did this come up? You're asking those questions, but in, if you don't do the inner work first, it becomes a landline and it doesn't matter how many of the skills I give you, even if I give you the entire outline of what you need to do if we haven't changed the inner landscape, you're not actually going to do it. Right. It's, it's um, incredible, really, how how much some people will um, will go, how the lengths people will go to to avoid confrontation and to 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 not stand up for themselves, and and popped into my head, and I haven't thought about this for a long time, but. One time I was in London with, with my friend Chris, who I used to work with in the airline, and we were walking across London Bridge, and we were just behind this uh, this girl carrying a, a back sack, which was one of them, she was a fully grown woman, and lots of tourists walking the other way. And every now and again, she would just punch one of them in the stomach. <laughs> this, this seems like a crazy story, I know, but she wow. kept punching these tourists in the stomach. And people were... I guess it was the shock factor as well, but people were turning around going, did, like, did that really just happen? And we're walking behind her. We saw her do it maybe four or five times. And none of these people actually came back and said, you just punched me. Not one of them. They just carried on. Like it didn't really happen. And each one of them had been punched in the stomach. Now, me and my friend Chris are a bit more, maybe we're a bit more like the social justice warriors, I don't know, but um, but we went and stopped her and, and uh, we we uh, confronted her in the street and we were trying to call the call the police over, um, but we, we kind of figured it wasn't going to be that much point because no one actually stuck around to actually say, right. didn't punch us, we just saw a bunch of these other people, and, well, you know, it's uh, our word against hers, but... Um, but it was it's still uh, the fact that we confronted her, at least she stopped doing it uh, right then and there. But it was one of the, the craziest things that people didn't even defend themselves or confront that. And sort of, for me, it's a, it is in some ways an example of that um, there's almost this, this lack of desire to confront the things that are really affecting you or maybe even hurting you in your life. Absolutely. I mean, it is a good example of that. And, and in this case, I mean, some people may be evaluating and saying, oh, you know, this could be a crazy person, don't go and confront them. So there's some safety pieces that are, you know, real and valid, because if somebody just randomly punches you, there's a possibility of some psychological disruption going on. Sure. But 
in the day to day, and here's, a, you know, have a great example of somebody who is hurting their business by how they're handling um, some of their clients. So um, client who came to me after working with another coach, this other coach, you know, they, they came to heads, they came to heads with things. And rather than the two of them sitting down and having an actual phone conversation, and my client was quite willing to have that conversation. Instead, this other coach was sending her um, voice messages. So through an app called Voxer, she'd, she'd Vox her and, and just like chew her out. And of course, you know, that kind of platform is one way. It's just like social media. It's one way. Nobody's interrupting you while you're ranting. And that is very destructive for your business, obviously, because you're not creating raving fans. You're not solving, you know, here was a person who had spent, you know, thousands of dollars, like almost $20,000 with this coach. And instead of dealing with it, she's just yelling at the client. And, you know, that kind of thing long-term is going to ripple out because people are going to talk about that. People are going to say, don't work with that person because she's crazy. Um, So our inability to navigate our conversations effectively will affect our bottom line and it will affect our sense of peace and all of those things. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I'm curious, Dana, how someone makes the journey from... um, dominatrix uh, to a business performance coach and public speaker. <laughs> okay. So, so I need to give a little bit of a backstory there. So, so the prompt in there. Uh, so I had my seven figure business, we had you know, staff, everything's going great. And then we, we had several things happen all at once in the business. And it's kind of like the Titanic, you know, when the Titanic hit the iceberg, it wasn't because it hit the iceberg. It was that it hit an open six ballasts. If it only hit five, the Titanic would still be alive, right? Yeah. So that was what it was for us. We, we hit that critical. We had one too many things that happened all in a very short period of time. So we actually had to restructure. I had to lay everybody off. And um, I decided to, you know, open the business in a smaller version. But in that transition for me, in going through that, going through all the crazy, and then once I had space to think about it, I dropped in and I started to evaluate. I said, okay, beyond the, the stuff that happened, right? Beyond the people breaking into our merchant account, beyond the losing some of our top clients because they went bankrupt and didn't pay their bills, beyond the obvious, what went wrong? And it gave me a chance to stop and say, okay, so here I was with this, you know, dominatrix piece holding my power in my personal life. But in my business, I had segregated these two pieces. And so all of this power was over my personal life. I wasn't holding it in my business. So I wasn't leading the business effectively. And in restructuring, what I started to do was to bring those, those two pieces together, to bring in the energy. I saw a huge difference. Inside of four months, we, we went from losing $10,000 a month to profiting $5,000 a month huge turnaround and uh, and it continued to grow and I eventually sold it in 2016. Um, But that transition, that ability to see how bringing that energy in would jump sales. It would make things easier. Everything flowed. If I happened to slip out of that energy, things slumped again. So I saw for me and then I knew that for, uh, you know, for business owners and particularly like say, particularly for women business owners who are not holding their power, this is the missing component. 
call it whatever you want. I call it the inner dominatrix energy, but it is missing if you're not holding your power. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that makes a lot of sense. As a, as a business performance coach now then, what are the kinds of things that you work with people on? Yeah, you know, this is what I love is that it, it's a range. So people will often come to me with, you know, the surface problem is something is not working in their business. So maybe they've hit a plateau and their systems are no longer working. That's really common. Or, you know, they've, um, they've had a successful business in the past, they've transitioned to something new, and they're not getting it off the ground. And even though, you know, all the things that they used to do to be successful, again, the systems are not working, kind of, that's a pretty central piece. Now, what's going on underneath that is that they're in the midst of, it's um, what some people call a spiritual crisis. It's a really, it's a coming back to, it's like, what's, what's missing? What's the piece that you ignored? in order to have success in the past because that's coming home to roost and that's what needs to be dealt with. So it could be dealing with their relationship. It could be um, dealing with past traumas. That's very common childhood things. Uh, And then, you know, we always, I always end up weaving in a little bit of business strategy, marketing strategy, and I I do channel a little bit. So I, I, I channel business marketing, which is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole new way to do marketing. <laughs> I'm across that. That's a, that's a first for me, Dana, and I'm fascinated. Um, mm. this, is, this is one of the important things as well. There's a, there's a, a lady called Sally Hogshead. I don't know if you've heard of her. She mm-hmm. had a thing of how to fascinate, which yes. for me was, was enlightening and this whole thing of, uh, yeah, it's important to be fascinated and to be fascinating as well. And I think sometimes it's the being fascinated that helps make you uh, fascinating as well to watch. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it a whole big thing. She's, uh, she's certainly someone I want to, uh, to approach in the future for uh, being a guest as well. She's incredible. Um, Okay, so I want to, to come back to the to the business performance coaching then. When you're working with someone, particularly now when there's a lot going on, what are the things that you would be encouraging people to be focusing on and working on right now? Okay, so let's dive into some tools because I we've talked a lot and you know it's fascinating, but uh, you know, I also love for people to have some actual tools. So first thing we need to do is to get people on board with the idea that you have the ability to pick up on other people's thoughts and emotions and feelings. And we know this. So if you've sat in an auditorium and you felt this sensation of somebody staring at you, the reason you can feel it is because we feel the energy of it. So whether they are at the back of the auditorium or on the other side of the globe, we have the same ability. And there's some fascinating studies that have been done. Um, but basically, we just kind of want to extrapolate out and say, okay, if we have the ability to pick up on what's going on with other people around the globe, then in this time, in this time of global pandemic, what is the possibility that the anxiety that you feel is not all yours? If there's 7 billion people feeling a sense of dis-ease, anxiety, upset, then what if we suppose that 90% of what you feel is not yours? It's maybe even higher than that, but 90% is where I find most people can agree with me. So now the typical response when we're looking at, you know, working with energy in the energetic field is people would do the shield or the bubble or the walls, right? Trying to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. But the challenge with that is that trying to protect yourself is as effective as trying to block an attacker. 
So in martial arts, if you try to block an attacker, you're still going to get bowled over. And this is what ends up happening energetically is that if you try to block what's coming at you, then eventually your wall's going to crash down and it's just going to like, you know, knock you over like a tsunami. So instead, if we go the opposite and we take our energy field and we go really, really big with it, we expand way out, make ourselves loads of space. And where I like to visualize for people is if we, if we start with like an egg-shaped bubble around us, fill that bubble with your favorite color. Right. doesn't matter what color, whatever your favorite color is. And then we're going to take that color and it doesn't dilute as we expand it. Okay? So take your color and fill all the room that you're in. And then take the color and fill the house. And then we keep going out, fill the city. We keep going out, fill the country. Of course, you're in a small country. So you know, if you're in Canada, start with your province. So <laughs> fill the country. And then, you know, really go big out. Go right out to the size of the world. And notice, notice that there's like more space in your body. There's a little more ease. Right. So now what this does, it does two things. One, energetically, you have more space. And so when stuff is coming at you, you have the ability to perceive it from further away, which allows you to move which just like martial arts, you want to be able to move out of the way and then drop your opponent on the floor. So with the expanding out, it allows you to have more space. It also allows you to have perspective because you're not crunched in with a tiny little, you know, into a little ball. You're moved out and you have perspective. The moment you feel like you have perspective, then your brain starts to go, oh, I have more perspective. Oh, let me look at this differently. And so it gets on board. So this works, energy moves the physical. It does both. All right. So that on a regular basis, if people are expanding out now with my clients, I take, I just keep going all the way out to infinite space. But for now, even the size of the world makes a big difference. If you can link that. So as you move about your day, every time you see the color that you picked, you're going to allow yourself to expand back out to at least the size of the world, if not more. And you're doing that on a regular basis. So if, if your color was blue right now, it, the blue of your shirt would remind me to expand out. And so that's the thing. It's like to think about what are the things that you're going to encounter in the, in the day that are going to be the color. And then, you know, just forward, you know, projecting onto the fact that you see that color, you're expanding out. You'll set up the habit to be expanding out on a regular basis, and then you're not in overwhelm all the time. So that's always the foundational piece that I, that I get my clients doing. Now, the other piece of it is, you know, playing with questions. That's the other tool that I'll give everybody is playing with questions and dropping into that five-year-old. Remember, you know, you remember the five-year-old, they're always like, why? But why is the sky blue? Why does it do that? Why is that, you know, why are the fish swimming? Why are the, like, why, why, why? They don't understand, right? Everything they want to know. They're totally curious. And they don't have an assumption about what the answer is going to be. Now, sometimes they're annoying because they don't listen to the answer, but they don't have the assumption as to what the answer is. And that's the thing is to, you know, to expand out and then ask yourself, I wonder how else I could do this. I wonder how else I could see this. I wonder what else I can choose, right? In that wonder question, as opposed to the why question, because a why question is as effective as analyzing your poop. 
Don't analyze it, just flush it. Yeah. <laughs> right? We say, why is this not working? Why am I so fucked up? Why is this like that? Those why questions are not helpful. Yeah. But when you add the wonder in front of it, I wonder why I'm so good at finding creative solutions. I wonder why it's so easy to make money. I wonder, you start to expand your possibilities. Yeah, I like it. Uh, you know, some of the coaching work I've done over the years, I'd say, you know, one of the things I, I do without, without trying to label it as this because I think people get a bit uptight when we start, if I start talking about things like um, victim mentality and the likes, but the victim mentality is the why me, why is this happening to me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not really a play, uh, as you say, the why questions aren't good ones to ask. And instead, uh, the better questions to ask are the how. Um, how do how how good could I cope with my life being? How successful would would I be able to withstand? You know, they, those are better questions to be asking yourself because whatever questions you do ask ask rhetorically or otherwise yourself, your your brain is looking for ways to answer them, even if you're not conscious of that, and you're going to see that showing up in your experience. So now I can say in the past, and I was talking about this on a group coaching call last night that I used to have this sort of connection between uh, something good would happen but then my expectation was something bad had to happen because I, I wasn't allowed to have things that good is that no that's not for me so mm-hmm. where is it what, uh, what am I waiting for and then the next thing is this expectation of um, this bad thing is going to happen and wipe me out which which always did and that was really that expectation and that focus on um, the uh, past past experience or whatever uh, dictating for me what what was going to come next until I shifted from that and started asking myself better questions and started focusing on what I can do rather than what I can't do or what's going to go wrong or what's going to be bad and that life got so much better even even if you sort of think well maybe you're just deluding yourself well maybe you are but it's still you're still going to be better off because you're going to have a better life experience and the chances are you're going to see those things reflected in, in your life and the things that turn up as well because that's what you're focusing on instead of the uh, poor me, why me, <laughs> and uh, why, why is it like that? Is it your thing of how? And getting into that, um, you know, that kid's book, Lemony Snicket. I, I love that thing from the, the, the film of there's always a way, there's, the, there's always a way, that you're much better off with that men- kind of mentality that you know whatever it takes there's always a way there's a solution to this uh the, the marie folio everything's figure outable you know that all that that's a much better healthier mindset that's going to get you results absolutely yeah and and the majority of people i will just address one piece in this and that like if anybody listening is in the place where you know that you've heard these things before and you're you're really resistant to that um, well, you know, that's not going to work. Just, you know, I've tried that and that's not going to work. Then to recognize that that is your subconscious mind trying to keep you safe because at some point taking risks created a, a bad result. And so it's also about going a little bit deeper with the subconscious mind for some reprogramming because just asking the questions sometimes will just will reactivate your resistance and in flipping around those deeper programmings makes it easier to step in as opposed to needing to repeat it a thousand times to get it to shift. Yeah, yeah that's important to say. You have a book called Badass Intuition. What, what is badass intuition? <laughs> Explain that. 
So Badass Intuition is a six-week boot camp to take you through step-by-step process, getting in touch with your actual intuition. So this is not your um, gut response that sometimes is mistaken, like, you know, with your subconscious, but it's actually dropping in to connecting with that, that piece, that inner wisdom that has never been wrong. That, that niggle that comes up that says, oh, I don't think you should do that. And then you go and do that and you're like, yeah, it was right. To actually be able to tap into that ahead of time, differentiate between what is your intuition and what is your conditioned response to things. So it's a, it's a six-week process to get you started. And then there's the next level is um, reach out to me for, for going deeper with it. Yeah, we have uh, your, your cat has an answer for us as well, I think. <laughs> yes, I was hoping you couldn't hear her. <laughs> she wants in. <laughs> She's going to be on taking the stage with you, I think. <laughs> so, so that is something that uh, people can get a bit of a taste of that from, from you for, for free, right? You've offered uh, people to be able to access that for free. Yeah. So if, they, if you go to innerdominatrix.com, you can download um, a full copy of the Badass Intuition, get you going with your, your, your boot camp there and really start to get yourself trained on differentiating what is your actual intuition versus the, the clutter in your mind. So it's very, very helpful. Yeah. You know, I know there were a few other things that I wanted to hit on you today, but I also want to respect your time. You're very, very generous with it, and you're giving us so much great, great value here today. And uh, I know you said you'll you'll return back again in the future, and we'll discuss the uh, the sort of cult influence and and some of your experiences with that as well. Is there anything that you would like? We talked about things like women nego- in negotiations and how to deal with your own stuff. Is, is there anything that you particularly wanted to make sure that we do cover before we start wrapping things up for today? You know, I think we've touched on a lot of things, and I would say, you know, for anybody listening, the the biggest thing is to, um, if your subconscious mind is trying to tell you that you know, oh, that's impossible, I can't, I've always, it's always been this way for for whatever little slice of it. Um, you know, to, to, to start the nudging of like, well, what if I'm wrong? What if that's a lie? And, and, and definitely, you know, reach out if you, if you want some help in moving things through, but to start with that piece of try out the tools of expanding out, try out the, the questioning. And then if you're really getting resistance, it's like, well, what if, what if I'm wrong? Because your subconscious mind is telling you all this lies of, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't. And until we challenge it, we're never going to shift it. Yeah. One of the things that was wonderful on the group coaching call that I did last night was a really powerful call. And thankfully it's recorded. So I'm going to go back and re-listen to it uh, when I get some time at the weekend. But um, that some stuff came up on there that some, some people have been working with for quite a while, uh, finally hitting those breakthrough points of, you know what? I'm just going to go for it anyway. That all these things that most of the time when people are feeling held back, it's just because they're holding themselves back more than anything else. And like you say, the subconscious mind talking to you saying, I can't do that, or that's not for me, or that's for that's for taller people, older people, younger people, slimmer people, bigger people, I don't know, whatever it is. Whatever it is that you're telling yourself is the reason why you can't do it, uh, maybe the exact reason why you should be out there doing it, and, and certainly is something that you need to stop listening to and just go and do it anyway, and who cares? 
just see what happens, just gather and do it because you're going to have a much richer life uh, and experience for that. And I see that, I see that for myself, I see that with my clients, I see you share similar sentiments as well. And uh, it's just so important to get out there and do it. What is the, would you say is that maybe the number one thing you could do then for, for channeling your inner badass, your inner dominatrix, or is there anything else you could add to that? I, you know, I would really say, you know, start with those pieces. And then if you, if you want to go further, pick up some of the books and, uh, and start applying some of the, the tools there. So I think we need to wrap up because these cats, both of them are now yelling at me. So. <laughs> they, 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 they want their mother. So I'm going to let you go and take care of them. But Dana, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to having you back and we'll get more into the, the cult stuff and the dark side of influence and persuasion and everything. All the links to all of your book and information is going to be in the episode description. So you can go and find out more about Dana. Go and check on her website. Download the digital copy of Badass Intuition. Check out some of her other books and talks as well if you get the chance. Dana, thank you so much for giving us your time and so many insights and wonderful stories today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you so much, John. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm glad to hear it. I look forward to speaking and connecting with you again very soon. Take care. Go and look after those cats. See you soon. Enjoyed the show. Tune in next time. If you think you'd make a great guest on the podcast or you know someone who would, please get in touch with us. Today could be the perfect day for you to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, you have a message you want to share with the world, or you just think it would be fun to have your own talk show. It is. Podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed with all major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters like myself already using Buzzsprout to get their message out into the world. Find the link in the show notes. See you next time.